or what can you rely on? Who or what can you rely on? I wonder as we've just closed out another year, another tumultuous year, if that question is burning on top of your mind still. Maybe it was a year where friends betrayed you, proving not to be as trustworthy as you once thought. Perhaps it was family members who let you down over something as small as not getting every single Apple product you requested for Christmas. Mm. Or as significant as discovering devastating news of some indiscretion or secret sin. Perhaps it's been the downfall of people in broader Christianity whose ministries you've been molded by that now have you mulling whether there are any true models of faith. Maybe faith itself should be mocked. I mean, can anyone, anything really be relied upon, trusted, depended upon? Well, friends, in our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul takes this concept, this idea of reliance, and removes it from finding any footing in people or positions or human genius or giftings and plants it firmly on God and his word. All right. Specifically in this chapter that we'll look at this morning, Paul shows his reliance on God, the Holy Spirit, to use his word to accomplish his work. And he calls us to do the same. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and this morning, we'll look at verses 1 through 5 together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, I have no idea what page is on, but uh, 1 Corinthians is after Romans. 952. 952, all right. And if you need a Bible, you don't have a copy of your, your own Bible. Well, you've got a copy that is in some foreign language, it seems, with all the these and thous. And you'd like a Bible that you can read for yourself. We invite you to take the Bible under your chairs as a gift from us to you. We want nothing more than for you to have your own copy of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1, 3, 5. The Apostle Paul says this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. All right but in the power of God. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, a church plagued by division and disunity, competition and clamoring to be made much of. And in response, he pits the ways they, they, they've been behaving, the things they're valuing, acting more like the world 
He pits those things against the way the Lord works. God doesn't operate according to human wisdom. He doesn't prize pomp and status. He's not impressed by intellect and skill. He's the one who imparts intellect, who skills the skilled. Rather, he uses seemingly weak things. Cross of Christ, suffering of his son. And weak people like the Corinthian Christians, relatively low on the social status pole, to shame the supposed strong and wise, and to change the hearts of the chosen. Yeah. And here Paul peels back, as it were, the layers of how that understanding of how God works fuels his life and ministry, which I think is meant to be a model for us. So here's what I think is the main point of this passage, the main point of the sermon. Center your life on speaking of Christ and let God showcase his powerful work through your profound weakness. Center your life on speaking of Christ. And let God showcase his powerful work through your profound weakness. As we study this passage this morning, if you didn't get all that, you can live on with a neighbor. We'll hang our thoughts on three actions the text is calling us to take. So three points to the sermon. Number one, plan to prioritize the word. We see that in verses 1 and 2. Number two, live to minimize your worth. We see that in verses 3 and 4. And number three, rest in God's spirit to work. We see that in verse 5. So number one, plan to prioritize the word. Number two, live to minimize your worth. And number three, rest in God's spirit to work. Number one, plan to prioritize the word. And that's what Paul did. He reminds the Corinthians here in verse one of when he first came to them. You can go back this afternoon and read the story in Acts chapter 18 of his initial visit to Corinth. This bustling trade city on the Mediterranean coast where all kinds of peoples and all kinds of cultures and religions mingle. What was Paul's ministry to them about? What did it consist of? Preaching the word. He says here that he proclaimed the testimony of God. This testimony of God can be taken in two ways. I think there are two aspects of it. One is that it's the testimony from God. And it's the testimony about God. So first, it's the testimony from God. In other words, God has written a book. All right. I don't know who your favorite author is, who you find to be most constructive or most creative or most compelling. But whoever that is, 
multiply them by infinity, and they will not match this author. All right. The Lord God Almighty. Amen. Author of all creation, maker of heaven and earth. This all-powerful one has penned a book. All right. Take that book and read it. Mm. Prioritize that, that book above all other books. Other books are fine. They contain some wisdom and right. some truth, but no other book has divine origin. Amen. No other book comes from the one who is wisdom. All right. Who is truth. Mm. My brother Warner sent me a, a picture earlier this week of, of, of the books he's planning to read for, for the year. A couple dozen books. Good books, right? Really good books, some of them, right? But, but I love that, that at the top of the stack was the Bible. The only book on the list from God. All right. The testimony from God himself. And this book is a testimony about God. Friends, we don't need to go and find God. Amen. You hear people talk that way sometimes, don't you? They went out to the mountains or some other place in nature, and that's where they found the Lord. Hmm. Well, God ain't hiding. All right. All right. He has revealed himself. Now, yes, one of the ways that God reveals himself is, is in nature. Romans chapter one, verse 20 says that his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in the things he's made. In other words, the person who has no copy of the scriptures can see everything that the Lord has made. All the seasons changing and flowers blooming and snow falling and know instinctively that there is a God. All right. God testifies through nature, but mm -hmm. creation itself isn't enough to give you an intimate understanding of who God is. You can intimately know God through what he's made. Mm -hmm. You intimately know God through what he said. All right. Through his word. Mm -hmm. God doesn't Leave it to our imagination to, to figure out what he's like or what he demands or how much he loves and care for us and what he's done to show that love. He testifies about it in his word. The Bible is God's autobiography testifying about himself. Amen. And this testimony specifically centers on his eternal son, Jesus Christ. And what he's done for us in his death on the cross. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is pointing to Christ and his work. Amen. That's not just conjecture. That's what Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verse 39. He tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, that testify about me. The whole Bible points to Jesus. Amen. From Genesis' promise of a seed who would crush Satan's head, to Exodus's dramatic deliverance from slavery, to Leviticus's sacrificial system to atone for people's sins, to Deuteronomy's declaration that cursed, is everyone who hangs on a tree mm -hmm. to judges cycles of sin being interrupted by cycles of many saviors mm -hmm. to Ruth's provision of a kinsman redeemer to rescue and restore all that's been lost. Mm -hmm. It's all pointing to Jesus who on the cross 
crushed Satan's head. Amen. And delivered us from the bondage of sin. And as the Lamb of God laid down his own life as a sacrificial atonement. Amen. Becoming a curse for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. He permanently broke the cycle of sin as our ultimate savior. And he as our redeemer. The one who sought out our redemption has restored all that sin lost for us. Oh. Testimony about God is focused on the testimony about Christ. You see that as Paul specifies in verse 2 what he means by proclaiming the testimony of God. What he means by that is, is deciding to know nothing among the Corinthians except Christ and him crucified. That to Paul was the essence, the main point and emphasis of the whole storyline of the Bible. Now, you, you might think to yourself, of course, that's what Paul would go do with the Corinthian church. Preach Christ and the cross. I mean, that's what Christians talk about in church. But friends, remember, when Paul first went to Corinth, there was no church there. All right. No Christians there. In other words, this wasn't a place and people longing to learn about Jesus. What kind of people were they then? Well, they were a people like every other people across every other place and every other time in history. A people turned in on themselves, boasting in their own abilities, living to please themselves. Culturally, the, the people in Corinth, like other ancient Greeks, valued, highly valued rhetoric and philosophy. If you could eloquently turn a, a phrase or, or drop some deep sounding knowledge, you could gain an audience, some notoriety and esteem. Those were the kind of people that were that society's athletes and entertainers. They were their top social media influencers. And morally, Corinth was corrupt. A place where anything goes, you live like you like, like you want. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a, a few chapters after this, Paul reminds some of the Corinthian converts of how they used to live. Like the rest of their countrymen. They were sexually immoral. They were idolaters and adulterers. They were men who practiced homosexuality. They were thieves and drunkards, revilers and swindlers. What the Corinthians were all about would have been well known. A quick Wikipedia search would return these results. Beautiful city, bustling city, but they live the wrong way and they love the wrong things. Amen. Yet as Paul researched the Corinthians, notice his response. The knowledge of their waywardness did not turn him away. Instead, he figured, great, what better place to go? Again, the beginning of verse one says he came to them. And that way he modeled his Lord, Jesus Christ, who in seeing the wickedness and waywardness of the world didn't turn away from us, but moved towards us, came to us. So Paul resolved to come despite the mess he was coming to in Corinth. But what would he come and do 
I mean, knowing the depth of the issues ahead, you figure he starts formulating some, some strategic strategy, some, 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 some meticulous mission strategy to reach these Corinthians. How would he reach this culture? You might think he'd figure, well, let's see, they, they love rhetoric and, and deep sounding teachings. Uh, so maybe I'll take a master class on public speaking mm. or philosophy. Mm. Or maybe I'll find a YouTube clip of, of some of their best teachers and try to mimic some of their styles while I work on ways to defeat, uh, defeat them in debates. Mm. Or maybe you think that the people over there in Corinth have some really bad behaviors. Let me research some programs that might help them out. Mm. I found one, Idolaters Anonymous. Mm. <laughs> no, Paul doesn't do any of that. His only plan for these people is to prioritize the preaching of the word. Amen. Specifically, the word about Christ and his cross. Hmm. When he decided to go to Corinth, he also decided how to go to them. Not in ways that scratched their cultural itches for outstanding oratory or mystical musings passing for wisdom. Hmm. He came not with lofty speech or wisdom, but deciding to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ mm. and him crucified. What was this decision driven by? Well, by what people most needed. Mm. They did not need more of what they already wanted. They didn't need more of man's words or man's wisdom. They needed to hear from God. Amen. And so Paul limited his speech. It wasn't because he couldn't have talked about more. I mean, this man had a deep well of wisdom. He was taught by one of the most well-known Jewish teachers in Gamaliel. He was well-versed in Jewish teachings and, and Jewish culture. He, he was also well-versed in Greek teaching and Greek culture. Uh, to the people in Crete, he quoted one of their own poets. And to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in Athens, he quoted a Greek author. There was other stuff he could have said, he could have focused on, but that wouldn't have helped the people. The people of Corinth, like the people of Temple Hills mm. and Oxen Hill mm. and Clinton yeah. and Capitol Heights and DC and Dubai and Eritrea, mm and Egypt, and Israel are all the same way. Sinners, Amen. dead in their sin and destined for hell. And what they needed to hear about most was a savior. Amen. Paul made up his mind to background everything else and push Christ and what he's done to the forefront. That was what was most precious to him and most pressing for others to hear. Friends, do, do we have the same mindset? We live in a day where there are a lot of words being flung around. We, like the Corinthians, value speech, value man's wisdom. We've created seemingly endless avenues to air out all our opinions. There's a lot to say about a lot of things. But what must be said? Mm. And is that what we talk about? Mm. 
What do our words reveal about what our hearts treasure? Is it Christ and his cross? Too often it's the case that we can go on into great detail about our favorite sports teams. We recite stats at a whim and get highly animated and vehemently defending players and teams that have no idea that we exist. All right. All right. But comparatively, have no passion to talk about Christ. Too often we can explain the intricate details behind conquering some complex home project, but do not take time to explain the simple gospel to others. Too often we boast of finding some great bargain or amazing deal, but do not boast in the most amazing deal in all the universe. God has granted salvation to sinners for free. Too often, especially of late, we become supposed experts on every subject matter. All right. From mass to vaccines to politics to race to justice. We get highly involved in doing our research and stating our opinions and using our words to tear others down who disagree with us. How dare them? We open our laptops and, and let loose on social media. We broadcast our thoughts unsolicited for all the world to hear about this or that issue. But we do not open our lips to tell our neighbors next door the good news about Christ. Saints, that is not right. When we use the mouths God has given us as megaphones for everything except the Lord. Amen. To quote one of the poets from our day, it's dark and hell is hot and people are perishing and time is short. How will we use the days the Lord has given us? To do his work? To declare his word? We, like Paul, have been given a commission to tell people that even though they've sinned against a good and a holy and a perfect God and earned his just punishment of eternity in hell, that God has not responded in kind. He's not responded tit for tat. He's taken our offense and given us something far greater than we deserve. Amen. He's not responded by giving us eternal punishment, by giving us eternal forgiveness through his son. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins that we might be saved. Jesus gave his life as our substitute. He took all our wrongs and said, I'll eat the charges. I'll take the punishment and I'll give them my perfect record if we turn from our sins and trust in him. He died a horrible death on the cross. And the worst part of it was not the physical pain, but the pain of feeling the hell and the horror of the father turning his face away from his son because he could not look upon him in sin. He did that for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. He calls all of us now to turn from our sins and put our trust in him. Yeah. That was the good news that Paul took to the Corinthians. And it's the good news for us today that God has so loved us that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us so that whoever believes should not perish. You don't want to perish, friends. 
Hell is serious. You are perishing today. It's not that you will go to God's judgment. It's that today, in unbelief, you are under God's judgment. Amen. And the Lord has presented a way to get out through his son. Mm. Paul went to Corinth proclaiming that I don't care about nothing else. I don't care what y'all doing. I care about getting you to know this one and only savior of the world. I don't know what you came in this morning with on your plates, in your head. I don't know what you're thinking towards for the later this afternoon or later this week, but that's the most pressing thing today. Do you know the Lord? What would he say about do you know that your eternity is set somewhere? It's even either in heaven or in hell. Where are you going? Amen. Friends, the cross of Christ is the determining factor for where all of us will spend eternity. With the Lord in eternity in heaven or away from the Lord in hell. Amen. It depends on your decision. What will you do with what Christ has done for you? Would you accept his payment for yourself? Or would you say, Jesus, I don't need you. It's good news for, for sinners. It's good news for sinners what Christ has done for us. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Do not leave this morning not trusting in Jesus. Amen. If you need to know him, shame the devil. He's telling you right now, you don't want to be embarrassed. You have life to live. You, you like to live this way. He's a liar. Amen. He's going to hell. Amen. And he can't change it. There's time for you, though. Mm. Don't leave this morning without knowing Jesus Christ for yourself. Talk to someone around you. Come talk to me after service. We'd love to tell you more about how you can know this salvation today mm. for yourself. Amen. If you've experienced our salvation, we ought to declare it, to proclaim it Amen. today. There's no other way for people to be saved except through hearing about the cross of Christ. Amen. That's not to say we can't or shouldn't talk about other things. The Lord has made us wonderful creatures who can hold vast amounts of information and whose interests are sparked by all kinds of fields of study. But it is to say that we ought to make the main thing, the main thing, to prioritize Christ. Saints, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. There ought to be something distinctive, salty in our speech. Amen. Paul says elsewhere, our speech is to be filled with grace, seasoned with salt. But if we spend our time using our tongues, talking about what everyone else is talking about, the salt becomes indistinct, flavorless. We just blend in. Our voice is no different than the chorus of others speaking in unison about matters that hold no eternal value. Amen. Everybody written about politicians and policies, grumbling about this or that. Everybody's talking about which Kardashian is dating this celebrity this week. Mm, mm. That ain't for us. That is not our contribution to the world. All right. Let us be the ones known for proclaiming Christ, something that actually matters. Amen. Let us be the ones who proclaim Jesus and who plan to do so. It doesn't just happen. 
It starts with the commitment to God's word yourself. Friends, read your Bibles in 2022. Follow whatever plan you may be on. Start your own plan. Do something that's, that's, that's unique, but just read the Bible. And not simply just to develop better Bible reading habits this year, but read the Bible to deepen your relationship with God this year. Amen. It's not about checking a box. It's about cherishing Christ. Amen. Ask the Lord to grow your desires to, to read his word and to grow your knowledge and love of him and what he's done for you. Mm -hmm. What would happen if over the next few weeks and months you spent time prayerfully studying and meditating on and memorizing Isaiah chapter 53 or Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 or Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26 or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 here's what I'm betting your heart would be transformed and so would your speech as you know him more You'll want others to know him as well. Amen. Soak yourselves in prayer and in the scriptures and let Christ drip out your lips. Mm. Which in turn will mean limiting what else comes out of your mouth. Mm. You might have very strong opinions on a matter that you feel you strongly need to share. Mm. But what are you after? <coughs> What's your ultimate goal? Is it to see people come to know the Lord or for you to win arguments and look impressive? We're going to have to make up our minds what's most important. What are we going to talk about? We can model it today after service. What will your words be about? Saints, make them about Jesus. And about how his cross has changed everything. Mm. You see, the message of the gospel is not just for unbelievers out there. All right. The message of the gospel is for believers in here. Amen. Right now. Amen. We need the gospel too. Amen. We need to be pointed to the cross. Amen. When God seems distant and feels like he doesn't care. Look at what he did for you on the cross. Uh. We need to be pointed to the cross when we're tempted to grow bitter and, 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 and upset with another member for something they say. Some way they've slighted us or we feel they've sinned against us. And we don't want to forgive them. Amen. Look at the cross. Look at the great lengths to which God went to forgive you. Amen. We need to be pointed to the cross when we share that we've sinned. It's been a bad week with our eyes with our tongues, with our time. For every one look at our sins, we need to be reminded to take 10 looks at the Savior. Amen. Look at him writhing on the cross in pain, Amen. suffering on the cross in shame, bearing the Father's punishment on the cross and the penalty for us to release us from sin's ultimate penalty and from all of sin's power. We need to prioritize the word of God in our lives. Specifically, the word of the cross, the message of the gospel. 
It is how God not only saves, but sanctifies his people. There's a second action Paul models for us here that we also need to emulate. Not only do we need to prioritize the word, we also, number two, need to live to minimize our worth. Amen. Point number two, live to minimize your worth. Mm. Now, that pretty much goes against all worldly wisdom today. Mm. Everything is about building up your personal brain. Mm. Marketing yourself, making yourself look as impressive as possible. You find it in every field, every profession, even in churches and with pastors. Mm. <clears throat> Maybe every couple of weeks, I'm, I'm visiting some church's website, sometimes at the recommendation of others, sometimes to see what other churches are in our area, what they're doing, sometimes to, to help other uh, Christians in other places find good churches. And I'm generally always clicking on two tabs. First, what the church believes, and second, who the church's leaders are. And on that latter tab, the leader tab, what you sometimes find in the description of the pastor is what amounts to a verbal highlight reel. How great he is. How many members he's brought in since he's been there. How many ministries he started. How much money he's added to the budget. How dynamic a preacher he is. And how he's recognized from coast to coast and country to country as the greatest of all time. Even though you've never heard of him. All right. All right. How different is that from Paul's description of himself in verses 3 and 4? He says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. There was nothing impressive in Paul's appearance or demeanor. He wasn't an imposing figure who commanded the room. He was the kind of guy where if there were 30 other men in a church service, people would all expect any one of them to be the preacher before they'd expect Paul to be the preacher there. He wasn't self-confident, overly charismatic. He wasn't driven with swag. And he wasn't pretending to be. All right. Paul came to the Corinthians with a message, a powerful message. And he owned being the means, weak as he was, through whom that message would be communicated. Mm -hmm. Elsewhere, Paul spoke about his many hardships and his ailing body and his unimpressive eloquence. He was weak. But even apart from Paul's particular features, his description of himself here describes all of us, or at least it should. Weak, in fear, trembling. That's how we all are or should be before God. That's our ultimate audience, our supreme standard. Every day we live our lives before him. And how can any of us boast in his presence? We are all just human beings and not gods. Amen. Men and women with clay feet who ought not make much of ourselves. Mm. We all need to be reminded that we are just not that important. Mm. 
That is kind of the message of the Bible. It starts with God and it ends with God. Amen. You're in it, but you ain't the most important person. All right. Life is not about us. We've been made by God in his image. So in that sense, we're incredibly valuable beings, but it's in relation to him. Created, created by him and for him to reflect his glory to others. But the problem is we try to find value in a relation to other people. Do we look? or dress, or preach, or have faith, or do ministry better than them. Mm. At the height of our self-focus, we make even ministry about ourselves. Mm. Sure, we'll use Jesus' name, mm. but it's ultimately about our fame, about our renown. Mm. We are the only bold truth-tellers mm. in an age of all cowards. Mm. We are the sole saints still standing for Jesus. Mm. We crown ourselves to be the prophetic voices of the day. Mm. And in discounting others' faith, we put the spotlight solely on us. I mean, on Jesus. <laughs> but Paul remembered something that John the Baptist learned. And that we must learn. In following Jesus and living to make him known. He must increase and we must decrease. Amen. Now that's counterintuitive for many of us. Because how we think, how we'd like things to go is sure, I'll proclaim Christ that, that he might increase, but I want to get on it in on it as well. Christ must increase, and I increase right alongside of him. It's a package deal. He's a platform for my popularity and prestige. But that's not how the scriptures present things. Christ must increase. Take the priority in our lives and in others' lives that he rightly deserves. But just as necessary is that we must decrease. We must lower ourselves. As one pastor friend uh, called it, we got to stop photobombing Jesus. Mm. We don't belong in the same frame. All right. He's the star of the show, the main yeah. focus, not us. And, and remember what the focus on Christ revolves around. What seems to be his weakness, his death on the cross. Mm. That's what Paul highlights Jesus Christ and him crucified. The scriptures don't highlight Jesus' looks. Or his speech, it highlights his weakness. Amen. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, he was crucified in weakness. Christianity is the only religion that boasts in its hero, its God, seeming weak, suffering, dying. We boast in a cross. Amen. Far be it from Paul then to put the focus on how his own life is strong and remarkable. And far be it from him to speak in such a way that rhetorical flair would take away from the reality of a bloody cross and a bloody Savior. He says in, in verse 4 that his speech and message were not in plausible words of, of wisdom. He didn't use persuasive teachings or manipulative, uh, manipulative, <laughs> manipulative tools in his speech. 
He didn't uh, string his words together in such a way to solicit amens, regardless of what he said. All right. All right, Paul didn't want to have any undue attention put on himself for his words in and of themselves. He wasn't out to demonstrate his abilities, but the Spirit's power. And so he came simply, humbly, lowly, and spoke about Jesus with simplicity and sincerity. He mirrors the one he spoke about. When the Son of Man came into the world, he came simply, humbly, lowly. And in both Jesus and Paul's lives, we see that the Spirit of God worked in powerful ways through what seemed to be utter weaknesses. Mm. He's still doing that. Mm. But when we exalt ourselves, when we put the spotlight on us, we, in a sense, short-circuit that power. Mm. People can't see how worthy Jesus is because we keep trying to prove how worthy we are. The Holy Spirit's work is to testify about Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. Says so we work against the Spirit's work when we make life and ministry about us. In what ways might, might we be guilty of that? In what seemingly small ways might we be magnifying ourselves and minimizing Christ? Amen. Well, consider your speech, even in casual conversations. Are you cognizant of how many times you talk about yourself? How often you find a way, no matter what's being said, to insert your take and your experiences in a dialogue? Amen. How often, without thought, you take center stage? It's sickening when you think about it. Like, oh my gosh, I talked about myself like the entire time. This person was sharing their burdens and I found a way to make it about me. Mm. How about when you talk about not yourself, but you talk about Jesus? But do you find yourself maneuvering? Trying to smooth out the points you know will be hard for others to hear? Maybe softening what sin is or bypassing the horrors of hell. Not mentioning the exclusivity of Christ. Mm -hmm. All because you want to keep some esteem in the eyes of your friends and co-workers. You still want to, to think, uh, for them to think highly of you. But do you not talk about Jesus at all? Because you feel inadequate. You don't know enough. Don't know enough scripture. Okay. Don't know enough answers to common objections. You stammer and get stuck and feel stupid, and so you just keep your mouth shut. Friends, the common denominator, denominator in all those scenarios, in different ways, is that the focus is on you. The poison of pride is that it makes us think not only too highly of ourselves, but too often of ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. Ask God to help us humble ourselves. We need to boast of Jesus. Then get out the way and watch as God works. Which leads us to our third and final point. Rest on God's spirit to work. 
Point number three, rest on God's spirit to work. In verse five, Paul provides the purpose for his philosophy of ministry. Why did he prioritize preaching the cross of Christ? Uh, Why did he put his weaknesses on full display and not try to win the Corinthians with his appearance or speech? Because he wanted the Corinthians to depend not on him, but on God. Amen. He says in verse five, he went about his ministry in such a way that the Corinthians faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Paul knew there was a way to do ministry that would win converts. He knew there was a way to do ministry that would attract followers to himself primarily and, and then to God. He didn't want that. I mean, even with the way he did ministry, people still made it man-centered. I mean, he talks in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about the church being divided, with some of them saying, I follow Paul, and others saying, I follow Apollos. There's a constant craving for people to cling to personalities. But people have no power, no real power. Only God has the power to save. Only God has the power to give life, and by his spirit, he does. That's what Joseph read for us earlier in Ezekiel 37. Dead, dry bones, giving life through the power of the spirit, working through the word. That's what we sung about earlier in our songs. Right? I was blinded by my sin. Had no ears to hear your voice. Right? Did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. Hmm. Then your spirit gave me life. Opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. Hmm. Paul understood that when we put ourselves to the back and proclaim the word of Christ to dead sinners, that the spirit works. That's his M.O. Oh, he takes dead people and deadness and he brings it to life. Mm. Right? Through our seemingly weak words, he works wonders so that God alone gets the praise. Amen. I mean, how else? Seriously, how else? Why else would anyone believe our message apart from God's work? Amen. I mean, we believe that a God you can't see made the world and everything in it in six days by speaking it. And that 2,000 years, that same God left heaven and became a man to save the world that rebelled against him. Oh, and he came being born through a virgin. And he lived a perfect life. He never disobeyed his parents, not even once. And then he gave his life as a ransom to pay for the sins of all who would trust in him. He died in such a way that his death was payment for the sins of people past, present, and future. Amen. He was buried. Then he came back to life after three days, showing that his death was payment for our sins. Amen. And then he walked around the earth for 40 more days and then one day he hitched a ride on a cloud and rode back into heaven. Mm. And one day soon he's coming back on a cloud Mm. to assign people to heaven or hell for eternity. That is definitely not man's wisdom. 
That's not what you say to someone if you want them to believe something. That is utterly unbelievable. That is the epitome, the essence of a weak message. It sounds like complete foolishness. Who would believe something like that? How could someone believe something like that? One answer. God. Amen. God. God causes us to believe. Empowers us to believe. Enlivens us to believe. And he's still doing that today. Working. And we must rest in his work. In his power to save folks through us, weak vessels. And we want other people to rest in the Lord's strength to save and to rely on him and not us. Because, friends, even though we want to live godly lives, we won't live perfect lives. We might let folks down. Some of us may have been led to the faith by people who themselves are no longer walking with the Lord. But in a sense, it was never about them. All right. Yes, the means is important, but it's not ultimate. Yes. And so you don't need to deconstruct your faith because of someone else's failings. Mm. You don't need to turn away from Jesus when life turns hard, when finances dry up or jobs are lost or family or friends die. Because the reliance was never on people and their prowess or their promises, but on God and his power. Amen. He has powerfully worked by his spirit to save us. He is powerfully working in us by his spirit to strengthen us. And he will powerfully work by his spirit through us to save and strengthen others. Amen. Recognize your insufficiencies. Rely on him and raise the banner for Jesus. Center your life on speaking of Christ. And let God Showcase his powerful work through our profound weakness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your spirit who has given us life. Who has given us desire to sit in a church service and to sit under your word. We thank you for saving us and using us to help save and strengthen others through the preaching, proclaiming of your word. Lord, we pray that you would work even now. Save some among us who don't know you. Strengthen many of us who do know you, Lord, that we might all grow up in the greater knowledge and love of you. Oh, Lord, we pray that dead and dry bones in Temple Hills and in Prince George's County and in Maryland and in America and throughout all the nations might be given life by your spirit, working through your people, proclaiming the message the cross of Christ. We pray all this in his name and for his glory. Amen.